Happy Sabbath. All right, who's actually glad that it's Sabbath? Who can't stop thinking about the stuff that they need to do after Sabbath? All right, for you guys, put that stuff on pause because I'm going to need your brains, all right? Now, um, raise your hand if you consider yourself a Christian. I'm guessing it's going to be the majority. All right, brilliant. For those of you who are Christian, have you heard about the cross? I know it's very, like, basic questions. It's not, you're like, yeah, it's Boris. It's going to be a trick question here somewhere. It's not. It's just very basic. The cross, yeah? Now, for those who are not Christian, we sang some beautiful hymns this morning, yeah? When I survey the wondrous cross, it may not make sense if you haven't heard the story. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, can you, for, for you that are Christians, think about those who are not, right? And all of a sudden, they're hearing about the cross and a Jesus who's dying, and somehow that's meant to make sense. Yeah? Um, imagine walking into a church, and then all of a sudden, there's a group of people singing, There is power, power, wonder working power in the blood of the Lamb. You're like, What? Today we're going to try and make sense of it, and I'm going to try teach you about the cross in a way that hopefully you will be able to explain it to people so that when they hear these things, we're not just crazy Christians, but it makes sense and that there's power. Does that make sense? So what are we talking about today? The cross. You know my custom before we get into the message? We're going to have a word of prayer. And so I just invite you to bow your heads with me and we'll invite the Holy Spirit to be here with us once more. Heavenly Father, Lord, I am pleading and begging you, make my thoughts clear, make my sermon plain, and above everything, Lord, do not let me utter a lie. Help us to discover truth and to understand the power of the cross. The only way that can happen is if your Holy Spirit translates your divine message to us carnal people. And Lord, we pray that you may do that. Preach to me as well as through me in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. All right. Why? Here's a question. Why did the Jews kill Jesus? Now, let me, let, me, let me parenthesis this. According to the Jews, why did the Jews kill Jesus? Say that louder. He was claiming to be God. Blasphemy is the word we would put for that, right? According to the Jews, why did they crucify Jesus? What's the answer? What's the biblical answer there? Blasphemy. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. Quickly, let's get our Bibles. Let's do this. Matthew, what chapter? 26. And I believe we're going to be starting from verse um, 65. Matthew, chapter 26, and what verse? 
65. And the question that we are asking or the question that we are seeking to answer is according to the Jews, why did they want to crucify Jesus? Okay, you follow the question? We're in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 65. If you're there, say amen. Amen. We're reading and it says this. Then the high priest tore his clothes saying, he has spoken, what's that word? Blasphemy. And then he says, what further need do we have of witnesses? Look now, you have heard, you have heard his what? Blasphemy. According to the Jews, why did they want to crucify Jesus? What's the answer? Blasphemy. Does this make sense to a Jew, yes or no? No. Told you there'd be a trick question in there somewhere. Do you know why this doesn't make sense to a Jew? Because not many people know this, but in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there's actually four sets of laws, okay? You've got the moral law or the Ten Commandments, okay? Um, that is how people ought to behave. They are God's standards. They are God's character, okay? Then there is something called the civil law, okay? And this law dictated if someone kills someone, how should they be punished? If someone lies, how should they, what's the consequences of that? The civil law was how do you enforce this moral law? Okay, you follow what I'm saying? They're a separate law. Then there was something called the ceremonial law. And that was the law which um, dictated how the ceremonies and the religious ceremonies ought to be run within the sanctuary context, okay? And then you had something called the health law. You follow? Um, which was what you should eat, you shouldn't eat, washing your hands, sanitization, um, or all the rest of it to be healthy, right? So that didn't get the diseases that the Egyptians were suffering from. Now, according to the Jewish law... How should blasphemy be dealt with? Does anyone know? Say that once more, brother. Stoning. What did he say? Stoning. So, if you're a Jew, follow me. You're a Jew in the first century, right? If you believe someone has blasphemed, according to your own law, what should be the consequences? Stoning. Did they know this? Were they aware of it? Yes or no? Most definitely. Turn to the book of John chapter 10. John chapter 10. I'll race you there. Amen. All right. We're in John chapter 10, and let's start reading from verse 30. John chapter 10 and verse 30. All right, church, you're going to get used to flicking through these Bibles because we're going to be racing every time, all right? And I have practice. John, what chapter? 10. What chapter? 10 and verse 30. 30. If you're there, say amen. amen. Jesus says something that's radically bold here. And he says, I and my father are what? One. The Jews heard this, right? And automatically, what's their reaction? The very next verse. Verse 31. Then the Jews took up stones again to do what? Stone him. Were they aware of the dictates of their own law? They heard Jesus say, I and my Father are one. What? They knew that their law for stoning demand, uh, for blasphemy demanded what? Stoning. So why on earth, how on earth does it make sense to a Jew in the first century to be asking crucifi uh, cruci crucifixion? Crucifixion for blasphemy. 
Do you get what I mean? Their law dictates how this breaking of the law, blasphemy, should be punished, right? But were they saying, we've heard this blasphemy, let's all get together and stone him. No, what did they want to do? What did they specifically want to do? Crucify him. Why? Is it obvious from Scripture that they are being intentional with desiring crucifixion? Yes or no? If they were so concerned about Jesus breaking the law, do you not think that they would have tried to stay within the law in dealing with it as well? Does that make sense? But intentionally, they went around and getting people to do what? Matthew 27. Matthew 27. I know I'm flying through this, but there's a reason for it. Matthew chapter 27. And let's start reading from, oh, let's just read verse 22. If you're there, say amen. amen. And this is after Jesus has been at Pilate's and then Pilate offers up to the crowd and he says, Pilate said to them, what shall I do with this man, with this Jesus who is called Christ? And what did all of them yell out? Crucified. Let him be what? Crucified. Now you've got to understand, to a Jew, you are breaking your own law by asking for this type of death for that sin. But they wanted it. They really wanted and needed it to be crucifixion. Why? It's because there is another law. There is another law found in the book of Deuteronomy. So if I were you, I would start chugging there because the race begins now. Deuteronomy chapter 21. Ah, he beat me. All right. All right, amen. Deuteronomy chapter 21. And we're going to start in verse 22. Now, you've got to understand this. The cross, it simply doesn't make sense unless you start to understand it from the perspective of the people who were trying to crucify him and from the perspective of the people who Jesus came to save. You follow? There is a saying when it comes to studying the Bible, and it simply says this, you cannot know what it means today unless you knew what it meant when it was written. You follow that? A lot of theologians and pastors get in a lot of trouble. They read a verse, and then they read the newspaper, and they're like, oh, yeah, you see the, the fire that came out from, oh, that's, unless you know what it meant when it was written, we cannot be sure about what it means today. Does that make sense? So let's make sense of the cross. Deuteronomy chapter 21, and we're going to start reading in verse 22. If you're there, say amen. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a what? Tree. His body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. And don't miss this last sentence there. For he who is hanged is what? A curse of God. Their law, 
Here's the thought behind it, all right? If you committed adultery, all right, according to the law, you were to be stoned, yeah, you and whoever you were cheating with, right? Now, the thought is simply this. While you're getting stoned, you can still say, God, forgive me. And even though you physically die, you can still be forgiven and gain eternal life. Does that make sense? But then there was these sins that if they were hung on a tree, meant that God himself had cursed them and there was no hope of ever, um, ever being saved. Do you follow what I'm saying? Now, you've got to understand, this is very real and very present within the first century Jewish world. Jesus was a young rabbi, Yeshua from Nazareth, and his teachings were radical and they were different. And he did not care about political correctness. And he did not care that you were a Pharisee for 20 years. All he cared about was truth and people. He did not care that Pilate was in control, even though he respected the man because the man was a human. And whether you like it or not, God respects humans. He did not demand that the poorest family in the village feed him because he was a rabbi and you shall feed a rabbi. But he was willing to not even have a bed He did not use his popularity or his power to destroy others. Yet simply his mission was to build up God and build up people. And that did not suit the first world Jewish system because the way they had it set up was, well, we are the religious royalty here and you ought to move out of the way when we go into the markets. In fact... There was a tradition at that time, you can read this in uh, Ray Vanderland's kind of archaeological discoveries, where he was saying traditionally, if you were a rabbi and you went to the markets, and there was someone in your synagogue who saw you entering, they were required by tradition to just give that rabbi the grocery so that he doesn't have to waste his time shopping, and, and no reimbursement coming to them. Can you imagine that? Running into me at Woolies. And uh, you, I'm arriving as you're leaving and you got the full cart and I'm like, oh, brilliant. Thanks for that, guys. Yeah, have a good one. <laughs> God bless yous. Jesus couldn't stand that stuff. In fact, if you look into Jesus' ministry and compare it with the ministry of the Pharisees, they were always trying to make people feel less and smaller and worse. And then Jesus is the one who's actually beautiful and pure and righteous. And he's saying, you know what? You can be like me. Let me lift you up. Let me build you up. Let me tell you you are important. Let me tell you you're not an outcast. This did not suit the rulers of the time. It didn't suit them. He was getting more and more popular and they were losing more and more power. And they knew, they knew that if they just simply killed him, he would have been a martyr and the legacy would go on. An ordinary death would not suffice. They had to have him on a tree because then the Jewish people themselves would see that God himself has cursed this man. 
in 70 AD, when the Romans ransacked Jerusalem. Um, It's probably one of the most gory and bloody historical things I've read. In fact, some historians say that when you walked into the streets, it looked like rivers that were flowing with human blood. We're talking about a proper massacre where the mission was not defeat their army. The mission was do not let anyone live. Do you follow what I'm saying? And you can read in some uh, historians' writings, there was a group of men, three men, who were hiding in a room filled with women and children. And they got together and they said, hey, listen, when the Roman guards come in, we're going to jump them. We're going to tackle them. We're going to try fight them. We're going to try kill them. We're going to do anything long enough to the, for the women and the children to be able to escape and live. And so they did. And there were six Roman soldiers that came in fully armed and three men, no armor, just chairs and stools and what bowls, fought them off. So the ladies and the children did escape and they did live. But these three men ended up being captured. And these three men, as a punishment, were killed by being hung on a cross on a tree. And to this day, not a single Jewish historian will recognize these men's name because they are cursed by God. The Jews knew that if they could just get this Jesus on a cross, on a tree, this movement's done. Because nobody, listen, were these three men that fought off the soldiers heroes, yes or no? Yes, but simply because of the way that they were killed, the Jews don't want to even relate to them. Because who wants to be related or or, or put in the same group of people as someone who is cursed from God? You follow what I'm saying? And so they knew it. They need to get him on a cross. I need to get him on a cross. And so they did it. They got him on a cross. And that's why if you go to Galatians, Paul commenting on this. Look at Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. Amen. And verse 13. What book? What book? What chapter? And we're going to be in verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from what? All right, we've got to repeat that because that's powerful. Christ has redeemed us from what? The curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now listen. Woo, it's about to get powerful. Listen. The Jews, they thought Jesus was their enemy, yeah? Yet who, why did Jesus come? For the lost sheep of Israel, man. He came for them. They saw him as their destroyer, but he came to be their savior. 
And in trying to destroy his movement, in trying to destroy the very reason he came, they fulfilled the reason he came. And that is to become a curse so that you and I don't need to. Hallelujah, I'm being serious. Jesus came to be cursed so that you don't need to. You and I are free from the curse of the law because he became cursed. This was not just a symbol. On that tree, he truly was forsaken because he took my sins, he took your sins, and he copped the curse so that you don't have to. They were like, man, let's get him on that tree because if he's on that tree, he's done. His toast is out of here. But they put him on the tree and Jesus says, it is finished. What I've come for is accomplished. I am cursed so you don't have to be. Now you need to understand something. And before I die, I want to tell as many people this as possible. People think they know what God is like. But without the cross, you cannot know what God is like. Because the Bible through the cross teaches us that God is a God who would rather go to hell for you than experience heaven without you. I don't think you got that. He would rather go to hell for you than be in heaven without you. You've got this picture of God. I'm not saying you, but people have a picture of God where he's just up there waiting for you to do something wrong so that he can send your parents in and rebuke you. But instead, he's a God who left glory. He left heaven. He left safety and came and became cursed. He copped the curse so that you don't have to. He would rather go to hell for you than spend eternity without you. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to serve a God like that. He's not some self-righteous dictator requiring stuff that we cannot achieve. No, he is a God who says, I know you cannot achieve, so let me do it for you. I know you're not good enough. I know you're going to cop the curse. But child, let me tell you something. I would rather cop that curse than you ever have to. So he came down, was killed by the very people he came to save, received the curse so that the people killing him won't ever have to. This is the gospel. When I learned this, it blew my mind because for the first time in my life, I realized I do not have to be lost. I don't have to. I don't have to receive the curse because he already received it for me. I'm going to repeat it again. God would rather go to hell for you than be in heaven without you. That is God. Now, I have a very real and a very sobering question for you. What does a God like that deserve? What does a God like that deserve? 
listen, it's not, it's not like there's some people who have, may have gone to war here before, right? My uncle went to war. And, and when he was at war, he received this telegraph from my grandfather at the time. And, and my grandfather said, if I could be there instead of you, I would be. And my uncle was like, yeah, that's nice, but the fact is you're not. Right? We don't have a God who's just sat in luxury and was like, do you know what, guys? I really would have liked to take that curse from you. No, he actually did it. He left safety. He, he came to this dungeon of sin, suffered the curse solely so that you don't have to. That is God. And what does a God like that deserve? It breaks my heart sometimes when you ask someone to do something to serve God and it's like pulling teeth. Nowhere in this book do I see the father begging the son to go. Nowhere. In fact, if you read the testimonies, angels were coming before Jesus, pleading with him, please don't go, let me go in your stead. Nope, I am going so that these people do not have to receive that curse. I'm going to. What does a God like that deserve? Raise your hand if with all honesty, even if you're not a Christian here, the question applies if you're not a Christian, if a God like that exists, okay? But for us who believe that that God exists, the question is, what does a God like that deserve? I don't care if there's a punishment if I do something wrong. Listen, I don't care. I don't care if I break the Sabbath, I'm going to be condemned. No, I don't care about that. Because that condemnation is so much smaller than the sacrifice He made for me. Do you get what I mean? My motivation to do the right thing, I don't need a threat for it. Do you get what I'm saying? The love that God has shown toward us is so great that the simple question of what does someone like that deserve should prompt all of us to say everything. The gospel is not... If you don't do this, you're going to go to hell. The gospel is simple. God is like this. And what does that God deserve? Simple question. Raise your hand if you want to say everything. Second question. What are you going to do about it? I mean it. I mean it because for most of you here, this is not something new. I've shared something you've known. But what are you going to do about the fact that God deserves it all? My mom is an amazing person. I mean, properly amazing. She's tiny, but she's amazing. Uh, She must be amazing. A tiny woman giving birth to me? Come on. I was 63 centimeters when I was born. Yeah, exactly. Some of you ladies are like... My mother is like this big. The doctors were looking at her and looking at me and being like, what? My whole life. I cannot think of a single time when mom wasn't there for me. See, dad and I, we had it rough in my teens. 
I was stubborn, he's stubborn, we just, it is what it is. But my mom, like straight up, doesn't matter what it is, she's just sacrificed everything in a loving way for us. And, and I was always close, I was mama's boy, you know, I was the youngest and I love snuggling, so it's a, it's a mom's dream, right? Anyway, as I got older, um, as a as a boy who's becoming a man, there's just certain things mum can't teach you. You know what I mean? Like, there's just certain things about being a man that you just got to learn from a father. And so I started reaching out to dad a lot more and getting closer to dad. And especially around the time when we were getting married. You know, like, oh, being a husband, the responsibilities, and just really, like, trying to learn from dad. And, and mum... Man, like every week, she'd just keep calling just to keep in touch. You know, hey, how are you doing? And I just kind of never had time for it. It's just like, just when, she wants, when she calls, she just wants to like talk for hours and I just don't have hours, you know what I mean? Like, and there's some mums I can see right now who are relating to this. Anyway, like, I just, I just if I see her sometimes, like, I just be like, oh, I don't have time, so I don't answer. Anyway, years have gone past and... She's still always calling me like every week and I'm, don't have time, don't have time, don't have time. And I just, I just realized like, my mum has been amazing to me. Even all these times where I've just been ditching her and dogging her, she's been just responding in love. And she's always there. Like soon as we had a baby, like she just packed up and came and was like six weeks with us, man. Like, she just put her life on hold, easy, like no questions asked, just like. And then the question was, meh, what does a mum like that deserve? You know, does she deserve to get ditched? Does she deserve for me not to have time for her? And, um, and then the question came, well, what are you going to do about it? You know what I mean? What are you going to do about it? And so... Earlier this year, I made a commitment that every week I'm going to spend a good time on the phone with mom simply because she deserves it, man. And it means the world to her. Like, man, I said I'm not going to get soft. I made this commitment. And so I called her. And uh, I was like, hey, mama, kako si? Oh, dobro, dobro. And she said, šta treba? And, and what that means is, um, what are you after? What do you need? And I was like, oh, nothing. I'm just calling us. Just chat. And then it went silent. And she's crying. Man up. It broke my heart, man. My mom has given everything for me was blown away because I just simply wanted to chat. Like, what a horrible son. You know what I mean? And so I decided, you know what, man, it's not just about acknowledging. It's not about acknowledging that my mum deserves better. It's what am I going to do about it? And so I decided, man, you know what, no. Forget your busy schedule. Forget your busy life. Forget the different stuff that you're trying to do on the side. Show your mum that she's actually worth it. Show your mum she deserves it. Spend some time 
Now, the thing is simply this, man. How much more does God deserve? And the question is, what are you going to do about it? That's the gospel. In fact, if you read the gospel according to the first angel's message, Kate and Grace, block your ears because this is going to be a bit of an insight. The way the gospel's worded in the first angel's message, if you read it, it essentially says, hate evil, be faithful to God. That's how the gospel starts. Hate evil, be faithful to God, and then it says, for the hour of judgment is come. In other words, because he saved you. Do you get what I'm saying? The gospel is, God is this way. He's done this for you. He's done this for me. Now the question is, what are you going to do for him? What does he deserve? I need to give us an opportunity to respond to that question. If there's someone here who in the past was convicted about doing morning devotions or spending time with God regularly in prayer and Bible study, and you were doing that, but as time went on, you kind of slacked off and you really haven't been spending time with God. But after hearing this sermon, the Spirit of God has been speaking to you and you've realized, man, God deserves more. And the Holy Spirit's convicting you to spend more time with God regularly. If there's anyone here who wants to recommit and because you've realized how amazing God is and how much He deserves, is there anyone here who wants to commit God I've, I've kind of dropped the ball when it comes to spending time with you on a regular basis. I've dropped the ball in our relationship. I am going to spend more time with you in prayer, spend more time in your word. If there's someone who may, wants to make that commitment, say, God, I've slacked off, but you deserve better than what I'm giving you. I want to spend more time with you. I'd invite you to stand and we'll have a prayer for you. God bless you. God bless you. Now, this may not be for everyone. I guarantee there's people in here who are faithfully doing devotions and spending time with God. But if this applies to you, God bless you. Now, we don't usually do this as a church service, but I'm not a usual pastor. If there's someone here who's just like realized wow, God would rather go to hell for me than be in heaven without me. And that understanding of God has caused someone here to desire to give their life to Him completely, even through baptism. If there's someone here who would like to give their life to God completely through baptism, I'd invite you to come forward. And we'll arrange a time. If you've already made that decision, come forward as well if you're in the process of getting ready for being baptized. But, but I think, God bless you, I, I think it would be a shame to reveal what God is truly like and not give you the opportunity to respond to Him. So if there's anyone here who would like to get baptized and, and sees that this God really deserves it all, and so I'm going to give Him my all, if you'd like to get baptized, come forward. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Is there anyone else? God bless you. God bless you.
God is a God who loves you more than his own life. And if that's a God you'd like to serve, I invite you to come forward. Can the church say amen? Amen. Now I'm going to wrap this up with prayer soon, but I'd just like to give one more shout out. If there is someone here who would like to give their life to God through baptism, because he is a God worth serving, I invite you to come forward. God bless you, brother. If for whatever reason, maybe you're just shy in front of people, you just, you feel convicted to, but just haven't, feel free to approach me or pastor or any of the elders and and let us know that you would like to follow and serve and give your life to a God like that and be baptized and we'll definitely follow up with you and get you ready for that, yeah? Anyway, I think heaven's rejoicing. Amen? Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you are the God you are. Lord, the depth of your love we can't even begin to comprehend. That you would live, leave heaven and glory and honor and come down to this earth and be treated worse than any of us have ever been treated solely so that we don't need to be treated that way. That's amazing. Lord, I want to pray for those who have stood up wanting to recommit their faithfulness to you. Lord, we live in a busy world, in a busy life where it's so easy to take shortcuts and not pray and not read and just get on with the day's duties. But Father, you deserve more from us. And so Lord... By standing, we want to say we're sorry for not being faithful to you like we know we ought to. But at the same time, we are saying, God, we're going to. And we are asking for your grace and your Holy Spirit to empower us to be able to. Lord, I want to pray for those that have made a decision to be baptized and to commit their life to a God that is like you. I want to pray that your angels protect them. And I pray that whoever you entrust them to to prepare them for baptism may be able to do it in, in the way that is pleasing to you. Father God, I pray that as a church, we may nurture them and love them. And Father God, above everything, I just want to rejoice that your word is true. That if you are lifted up, you will draw men unto you. Father God, we ask that you don't give up on us. We ask that you don't give up on our church. And we ask that you give us your Holy Spirit so that we don't give up on us or our church either. Thank you for being the God that you are in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. God bless you guys.